All right, welcome to a silver lined relaunch. And mm, 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 you guys, this is a good one. I have so thoroughly enjoyed. I always like the the pre calls, right? And I have Laura Gasner Odding on with me. And for those that have probably heard of her, you're going to hear a lot more. And for those that don't know her, get ready because this is going to be quite the conversation. You're listening to the Silver Lined Relaunch, and I'm your host, Hilary DeCesar, award-winning entrepreneur and transitional coach. Each week, I'll invite you to tune into inspirational stories, revealing how you too can turn ordinary experiences into the extraordinary. Feeling stuck? I'll share step-by-step strategies to fuel your ability to experience a life where silver linings are both abundant and possible. All right, Laura, welcome. Welcome to the show. So glad I am so excited to be here. Well, and I did, I said, you know, what we talked about before, I'm like, oh, there's so much goodness. Like, I wish I just record from the second we open up till the very second we don't, but I always feel like there's got to be an opening and a closing. So I'm excited to jump in and super excited to hear about your relaunch, how you got through it, the silver linings, and really more about you. So take it, take it away. Take, you know, give us, give us your goods. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm so bad at small talk. So like in, in our pre-conversation, we just went so deep so quickly and it was, (laughs) it was delicious. It was great. I've had a lot of relaunches in my life because I, I am, I am like a serial entrepreneur who has never met a revolution I didn't like. I just, I am so inspired and excited by the big idea, whether it was dropping out of law school when I heard a then candidate Bill Clinton talking about this idea that there's nothing that's wrong with America that can't be fixed with right with America. And I was like, oh, yes. By the way, I still believe that today, um, I, you know, dropping out and joining joining that campaign and him ending up in the White House and me ending up in the White House. So cool. And you then dropped your- hold on. I want to make sure that people realize <laughs> that you dropped out. You're here. You're in law school. Yes. You, you're now dropping out to go work on the campaign trail for Bill Clinton. Of like a no one governor from a tiny state of Arkansas, George H.W. Bush had just won Desert Storm. He had a 91% approval rating. And I was like, Governor who? From where? (laughs) Not a chance. But Laura, his message resonated with you to the core. More importantly, the boyfriend I was dating at the time, <laughs> it resonated with him to the core. And he dragged me to this campaign office because I had ridden my bike to campus and it started to rain in the afternoon. And this guy was like, well, I'll just listen. I didn't want to be in law school. I was totally miserable there. I got there the very first day and I looked around and I was like, I've made a huge mistake. So I did what any self-respecting young woman, young straight woman would do. I dated a guy who was terrible for me. So he said, I'll just put your bike in the back of my IROC Z. It'll tell you everything you need to know about this guy. And I just want to stop at this guy's campaign office. He's running for president. And I was like, yeah, not, no way. And back then, kids, this is before the internet, you could not look on Google to find out about, you know, where somebody stood. You had to literally go to their local campaign office in a tiny strip mall and pick up paper that talked about their policy stances. And in that office, 
in the corner was this tiny black and white TV with then, you know, brown haired Bill Clinton, just so impassioned. Now I had found my way to law school because I thought I wanted to be a United States Senator. I was going to be the first U.S. Senator, female Democratic Senator from the great state of Florida, which by the way, that job is still available. So get your act together, Florida. <laughs> somebody and, out there, somebody must, because I think if you decided you wanted to do it now, you could. Yeah, but there has been nobody one, has yet. There has been one female Senator from Florida and she was a Republican. Fine. No hate on Republicans, but there's only been one female Senator from Florida. And I, I just, I just, you know, I grew up wanting to solve problems. I grew up wanting to change the world. And at that point, the people who were doing that were were elected officials. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. And so I end up in law school. I realized that I don't want to be there. I, 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 you know, get a ride in this Iraq Z to this campaign office and I walk in and it was like a bolt of lightning. There's nothing that that's wrong with America that can't be fixed right with America. And Bill Clinton offered as a solution, a policy solution, this idea of service, mm-hmm. community service in exchange for college tuition. And I was like, that's the answer change your community while you change yourself and everybody wins. We all get uplifted. And so I started volunteering. And about three weeks later, all four principals, Bill and Hill and Alan Tipper, all came to this tiny town of Gainesville, Florida. And we got 36,000 people to show up for the rally. So the national campaign office were like, who are those local volunteers? We need to hire them. So I got hired, which basically meant I signed some paperwork and I got paid in all the idealism I could eat. And I got to spend tons of time on smelly campaign buses, traveling all over the country, throwing rallies. And it was amazing. It was exciting. It was romantic. It was heady. It was ego filling. It was just, it was everything a 21 year old you know, idealist would love to do. And he ended up in the White House and I ended up in the White House and I got to help create AmeriCorps, which now more than 1 million young people have served. Oh, God, I love. Okay. What you're saying now is that you heard a message that really resonated you. And I've heard this in in reading research about you, that the reason you even went to law school, some teacher when you were little said, you know, you should be, you should be a lawyer because you were, you were constantly like, you know, talking back to her and giving her reasons why you shouldn't be doing this or that, which I thought was so funny. I love that about you. (laughs) She's like, you were a really argumentative young woman, Laura, you should be a lawyer. Of course I told her she was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But that stuck with you because you know what? We have these thoughts that create our beliefs later on, right? There you have it. That's a perfect Absolutely. Example. But when you heard this message that, you know, Bill Clinton was saying, and you really, you know, it resonated with you. It lit you up. It was like, yes. And you decided I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to go for a law degree. I'm not going to finish up there. I'm going to go in there. You got into the White House. You supported him and you kept going for a while. But then, but then something happened. Can you tell us like what, what then changed your trajectory? Well, at that point, I just assumed that I was going to go back on the campaign trail because that's what you do. I was 25 at this point, And I just, I, I was uh, dating somebody who I wasn't a terrible person. But <laughs> like, not the same guy. Not the <laughs> same guy. Uh, didn't drive an IROC Z, drove a very old used Saab where the where the passenger window didn't actually roll up. 
Well, great. Um, I just had flashbacks of sobs, by the way, when you said yeah. that. <laughs> and, um, and, and PS, I, I've now been married to him for almost 25 years. So, um, I, 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 I really loved the work I was doing in politics. It just, it lit me up. I, I enjoyed so much being part of something that was bigger than I am. Uh, P.S. I have a son now who's graduating from high school and is going to go to college on an ROTC scholarship because he wants to join the Air Force. And when I was like, you want to what? You want to, what do you want to do? And he's like, mom, I want to do something that's bigger than me. And he's like, you understand that, right? And I, was I like, wonder where he got that. Great. Right? Okay. Oh, no awesome. Doubt. So great. Amazing. So I, I walked into my boss's office, the man who ran the, the, uh, the national service who ran AmeriCorps happened to be the guy who ran the 92 campaign. And I said, okay, the 96 campaigns getting started again. I want to go back out there. I'm excited. I want to go. And he looked at me and he said, in that way that only, a dear father figure mentor type can say, he was like, Laura, you're kind of too old to get back on a campaign bus and eat cold pizza and sleep on high school gymnasium floors. It's you're too old for that job. Ooh, and he goes, and you're Laura, of, what did Laura think about that? Well, the second part of it was, well, and you're kind of too young to be the domestic policy advisor. So you're just kind of caught in the middle. So go talk to my friend, Arnie Miller. He runs the biggest search firm in the country that does specifically nonprofit university foundation advocacy, mission driven search. And he'll find you a job in one of those organizations, you'll hide out for four years, and then you'll come back and do something big on Al Gore's presidential campaign. And I was like, uh, okay, fine. So a week what later, what a nice father down, figure, what a nice guy, a mentor. That you a mentor, a wow. mensch. Absolutely. I dedicated my first book to him, actually. Wow. So three weeks later, or a week later, I sit down with Arnie Miller, who, by the way, I dedicated my second book to. And uh, he, about five minutes into the conversation, he was like, well, I mean, tell me what you do. Tell me what you want to do. Tell me what you like. And I was like, wait, you you're, you live in Boston, right? And he's like, yeah, that's where our offices are. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I should go work for you. And he's like, you should come work for me. And I was like, great. Because the guy that I was dating, I thought maybe he might be the one. So I was like, terrific. I'll come work to you. Now, tell me what you do. <laughs> and so <laughs> I became a headhunter. And um, <laughs> oh my God, what a great story around a relaunch right there. Uh, That's how me, it happened. Tell me what you do. That's such tell a me great what you do. right there. Yeah. I mean, think about it. How many times have you seeing somebody who is interesting, who is doing something that's interesting. And you're like, if I do interesting things with interesting people, interesting opportunities will come. Like how many times have you said yes? Now, what was the question? Right? Oh, so true. Got it. Yes, absolutely. And when something really gets you fired up, gets you to have that spark and you have an opportunity to just, if you open your mouth and say something, Instead of this, like, mm, and then regret later, I should have said something. I should have done something. I should have yes. been. Oh, I love that. Yep. Yes. So I moved to Boston. I become a headhunter. And, and I love the work. I love it. I spend all day long having the privilege and the burden of hearing people's stories, why they do what they do. Not, I mean, I have to figure out what they do and I have to figure out how they do it. But, you know, nobody comes to work in a mission-driven space because they want fame and fortune, right? They're not there to increase shareholder value. They actually 
they have a reason. There's always a, a mother, a father, a grandmother, a nephew where something happened. There is a tragedy. There is a diagnosis. There is a realization. There is something that happened that put them on this path to do this kind of work and getting to hear that story and how it affected them and what they've done with it. What a gift that was. That's and I right, love, right? I do, I do this every day with the relaunch. The I, is it, it's, relaunch. it's incredible, right? It's yeah. incredible. Just hearing, getting to hear it. Stories, no doubt. Yeah. So I, I spent four years there learning really from the best and the brightest how to do this work. And then one day I had this realization that you know, we talked about, I didn't fit my teacher's definition of success, right? Like becoming a lawyer. And um, I, I also realized that my boss had a different definition of success. Also, I thought I was on the same side of the table as my clients. Together, we were solving world hunger. We were feeding the poor. We were creating opportunities for women. We were helping the environment. And what I realized was that they were doing that work. And I was on the other side of the table. And even though my work was to find them the most incredible people to help advance their missions, what was sitting in between me and them was the profit and loss statement of the company. <laughs> and so it wasn't me and them against cancer. It was them against cancer against me on the other side of the table, right? And so my boss well, is wanted- it, Hold on, hold on. Is it really against you? Because you were helping find them these amazing positions for them to go out and it's almost like you were giving them the ability to serve in a certain location, right? It, yes, but except. you weren't feeling. But it sounds like you weren't feeling the connection. You weren't being. You weren't in the game. You I was at odds. I was at odds with the business model. So the mm -hmm. executive search world world uh, works like this. You charge one third of the first cash uh, first year's cash compensation for the person who you place in the position. Right. Great. Okay. Makes sense. Um, a lot of firms also charge 25% of any other person that you happen to uncover in the process of doing the same work that it would take to find that candidate. Right. So there's like a freebie on the table. If you hire somebody else out of the pool, mm -hmm. a freebie for the firm, a firm gets lots of money for no additional work. So if you think about that and you think about the clients we're serving, the largest clients say you're doing a chief strategy officer for a multinational foundation. They're going to pay their chief strategy officer something like $300,000 a year. So your fee for doing that work is a hundred thousand plus any other person you might happen to uncover bonus money. Awesome. Mm. If you're doing a search for a local domestic violence shelter or a charter school, maybe they're going to pay that person 60 grand, maybe. So your fee for them is 20, but you probably have a minimum fee at your firm of like 30 grand. So they're paying you 30 grand to do that search. Now, if you are in that chair and you're thinking, how do I make my nut? How do I get my bonus at the end of the year? How do I deliver the most revenue possible to my firm? Who are you more incentivized to, to serve? The big foundation, fine, great. But I would argue that the big foundation searches may not be quite as hard as the small domestic violence shelter or the charter schools that have these tiny salaries. And also the organization needs the money much more when than the small organization. So already at that point, you're like, I am being incentivized to spend the last 5% of my day on those organizations that need me the most. So that doesn't feel very good, right? Like You were in conflict. This is I was in conflict. And yeah. then- Point number two, which is directly in conflict, even if you don't have any moral you know, feeling like I did about issue number one, issue number two was when I do find you that person and say you want to pay them $300,000 a year or $60,000 a year, but it turns out you need to pay them 310 or 320 or 61 or 68 or whatever, 
then I'm suddenly saying, well, for you to take this person who you love, who I found, who I identified, it's going to cost you more money. And guess who makes more money when they get paid more money? Me. So suddenly, who's my client? Who am I, who am I arguing? On? Who's on behalf of my arguing on? And I just, it just didn't feel right to me. And so and at I this thought, point, though, you had been doing this for how long? I've been doing it for about four years. Okay. So four years, it started, it started to percolate, it started to bubble up and you're like, mm, not, I'm not, I'm not feeling this right now. I'm not feeling this. Okay. And so I had this idea that there was a different way to do it. But what if we tied the fee directly to the complexity of the work? What if for the smaller organizations, we allowed them to hire us just for the part of the work that they needed us to do. And we could, they could hire us for fewer hours to teach them the part of the work that they needed to do. So any executive search takes anywhere from 300 to 400 hours. It's long, it's involved, it's a process. Yes. It takes expertise. Now, that doesn't mean that the search firm has to do all 300 to 400 hours. Somebody on your team could do it, right? Somebody on the on 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 you, you maybe you have another consultant, maybe you have volunteers, maybe you have a board. And so we said, well, what if we just train some of the smaller organizations to do it themselves? What if we did the research and came up with a list of, of potential candidates and you called? What if we taught you how to do interviews and you did interviews? What if we um, did the references for the main candidate, but you did some of the ones for other candidates just in case? There were all kinds of other ways where you could split the money where if they had more time and fewer dollars they could do it. And also some of those big foundations, by the way, would give grants to pay us to teach the small organizations how to keep capacity in-house at the end of the day. And people were like, why would you teach your clients how to do the work? You're going to run out of clients. And I was like, in the nonprofit sector, the need is endless. We are not running out of business anytime soon. So I walked you into- really, you, you literally changed the entire environment. The cha You changed the direction of how to hire people in that space. Well, I, mean, I tried. Mix, it's like Uber. You're like the Uber of, of that yeah. of that industry. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I tried. I marched into my boss's office one day and I was like, there's a better way. And he was like, there's the door. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, he was like, look, you can keep, you can stay here and you can keep doing things our way. Yeah. Awesome. Or you can leave if you want to do things your way. And I just, the problem is that once you figure out that you're not part of the solution, I thought I was part of the solution. Once you realize you're not part of the solution, where does that leave you? Well, a lot of times people just want status quo. You just same old, same old. What you were doing was, you know, disrupting. You're a disruptor. Okay, so you end up, you're at this point, you're four years into it, and you're now saying, mm, I can't, I can't just sit by and continue doing what I'm doing. Because I knew I was part of the problem. I couldn't be part of it. It was untenable. Like if I got into this work because I wanted to help solve these problems, when you come face to face with the fact that you're part of the problem, hmm. then you either wake up every day and look in the mirror and go, yep, I'm going to go keep being part of the problem or you leave and right. you start being part of the solution. So at this point, you end up having another relaunch. So I have another relaunch. <laughs> so I leave and I start my own firm. Hmm. I start my own firm. And oh, by the way, I was also like about a million months pregnant with my first child. So of course you did, right? Of course then. I did. Or, you know, why would you not want to start it when you're incredibly pregnant? It's your first one. And you're like, yeah, let's start another business. And let's I have no idea what I'm doing. Other guy. <laughs> sure. Why not? Yeah. So I leave and I, um, and I have a, I have, uh, 
24 hours of labor in an unplanned C-section. And I uh, am sitting at my kitchen table about six weeks after the C-section, still, I mean, TMI, like not able to stand up and go walk to the bathroom by myself without assistance. Cause I, oh, yeah, you know, I, had, hey, I had twins in the C-section. I get it. I it's like a war zone. Yes. Painful, painful. So you're I'm sitting around. <laughs> you're not moving. So I'm sitting at my kitchen table. I've got like this stranger, like in my arms, right? I'm like, I don't know. I just <laughs> met you. Like, I don't even know who you are and what you want. And I'm sitting there like surfing the web or something on, you know, on, on my laptop. And I get a phone call and it's a phone call from a friend from my old White House days. And she says, and I believe this is a direct quote. So, um, ew, I, I heard, I heard you had a, I heard you had a baby. <laughs> cool, I, I guess. Um, but anyway, are you still doing executive search? Because our executive director just resigned and we need somebody stat. And I was like, uh, why? Uh, yes, we are. Get that LLC going fast. <laughs> so she was like, great. What are you going to charge me? And I was like, a uh, hundred dollars an hour. And she was like, great. Send me a contract. So I take my one hand and I start you know, hunting and pecking for keys. And I was like, how to write a professional services contract. <laughs> Enter. So great. And the nonprofit professionals advisory group was born, which is why I named it so horribly. Because <laughs> I was like, I know I want to keep working with nonprofits. I know I want to work at the professional level. I know I want to advise people about stuff and I don't want people to think it's just me. So I guess it'll be a group. Yeah, that's the ticket. <laughs> It's funny how we do that. Not long not on just, marketing. It's not just, you know, me, myself, and I running this. I've got this team. My I've got team this team, me. my six-week-old, my Dalmatian <laughs> at my feet. Yep, and your husband in the back room. And you're like, yes, I it's have a team. a team. I got people. Yep. In fact, in those early days, I actually set up other email addresses. So, like, if you wanted to get an appointment with Laura, you had to go through her secretary, who was Jay, <laughs> at nonprofitprofessionals.com. And if you wanted to talk to a research team, then you'd have to go through like Emily. And I'm like, I said all these different email addresses and I would just reply to all of them as if we were the Wizard of Oz. Oh, you know what? This is resonating. And in fact, just yesterday, I got a note back from someone who has that big team. And yeah. it was, you know, at the at not her email, but she didn't realize that she was actually responding from it. And she's like, no problem, Hillary, we'll get that for you. I'm like, yeah. and then she wrote her name. I'm like, I, I thought this was your <laughs> But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I I mean, that's like a little bit of a shady thing to do, right? Except I knew what the hell I was doing. I knew how to do this work really oh, well. Oh, I don't think it's shady. No? At all. I think you know exactly what you're doing. You're starting a business and you you were going to do this. I think sometimes- Perception is reality. And and I do believe that sometimes we all need, and, and maybe it's, you know, from a higher, a higher something than us that needs that, you need that little kick in the butt to kind of get you going, come on. And now maybe it was a little early, you know, having this little one in your arms, maybe you would have liked another couple months, but it was obviously time. But people ask me all the time, well, how long did it take you to write your business plan? And I was like, uh, you got a scrap of paper? I'll, yeah. I'll write it right now. Like, I didn't have a plan. I just had business. And I think so many times what happens is opportunity comes walking in the door and we're like, no, 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 not yet. I'm not ready. Oh, absolutely. That what is you just go? What a great comment. Yes. We want to have every single thing in place. And now there's never, have you ever had a moment in your life where every single thing was in place? Yeah. 
I don't know what my grandmother used to say. Action, imperfect action. When we start waiting for the perfect action, we don't do anything. We get so like caught up in our own, like, you know, our own cement. (laughs) My grandmother used to say the day you wake up and nothing hurts, it's because you're dead. Don't you love grandmas and what they like? I mean, she also said that diamonds are like orgasms. A woman can never have too many of either. So I'm just saying. This is your grandma. How great she is She has that? a lot of really good advice. Yeah. <laughs> but like and if you across wait, the board advice, things that we should perfect be. Perfect advice. Maybe that's your next book. That's yeah. the next one that comes Diamonds out. and orgasms. Yeah. But here's the thing. If you wait for a day when you're not in pain, it's, just, it's too late. It's over. Yeah. You're dead. It's too late. You got to go. You got to just go. All right. So this is a shout out to everyone out there that's listening that is feeling stuck, feeling overwhelmed, feeling like they can't make a move. What do you do? You make one teeny little itty bitty step, one step. That's what we're hearing today, right? One step, one step. step. I mean, I I think we all feel like we get stuck in these ruts. Like we don't know what to do. We don't know what's next, but like, how do you run a marathon? You run a mile. How do you run your first mile? You go for a two minute run today, tomorrow you run for three minutes, right? Like you just, I ran my first mile of my life when I turned 39 years old, like of my life ever. Like I was never athletic. Seriously. Seriously. You had never, okay. That fat I'm from California. So I think I've been running since I was in fourth grade. I'm from Miami. Uh, I never, that's amazing. Okay. So you have a great, this, another, another relaunch for you is another relaunch of putting on those shoes and realizing, all right, at 39, I'm going to go run one mile. Well, and I didn't actually. What happened was- And you just put I, the shoes I, on. No, I was 39 years old and I'd had two kids and I'd launched these businesses and like, I was just, I was tired and things started to hurt and I wasn't fat and I wasn't thin and I wasn't strong and I wasn't weak. I was just middle, you know, like I was starting to get to the middle of the middle and I was wondering like, I don't know, like if like if, if I'm pain in my 30s and what's my 40s going to be like? And there's this trajectory moment when you get into your 40s where you're like, if I don't get it together now, it's going to be harder to pull it back. So I was walking into my kid's school one day and I saw the principal, a woman named Ellen, a lovely 65-year-old woman named Ellen. And she just looked amazing. She was like glowing from within. She'd lost a ton of weight. I hadn't seen her in a few months. And I was like, what up? Ellen, like you look, you you look amazing. Like either you've been really sick because you lost a lot of weight or there's a new man in your life and you look way too good (laughs) to have been really sick. So what's his name? And she was like, well, actually there is a new man in my life. His name's Mike, coach Mike. And then Ellen proceeds to drag me to the dirtiest, dankest, dustiest uh, community center ever. And Coach Mike forces me to do calisthenics for 45 minutes, which by the way, suck. And then at the end of 45 minutes, he hands you 37 tiny little straws. Why? Because 37 times around this tiny gym is a mile. And you had to throw a straw down every time into this bucket as you pass by. And you could not throw more than one because he counted. (laughs) Trust me, I tried to cheat. That's miserable in itself. I mean, having to like throw one out each time. Oh. I mean, now I know what it must be like to be like an IndyCar race. You're like turning right, turning right, turning right, turning right. Or I don't know, maybe they turn left, but it was just like, you just kept going the same direction. But at the end of six weeks, I actually ran the mile without needing to stop and like pant or hurl. And I, maybe it was just a lot of endorphins. I don't really know, but I said to myself, well, if I could string three of those together, I could probably do a 5k. So I did a 5k and I say did a 5k because like men with double jogging strollers were passing me on the uphills, but I did it. And at the end of that, I was like, you know, if I could string two of those together, 
Mm. I could do a 10K. And then at the end of that one, I was like, if I could string two of those together, I could do a half marathon. And I live in Boston now. You know where this is going. So fast forward a year after my first mile, I ran the Boston Marathon and I've now run not one, not two, but three Boston Marathons. And I'm on a competitive women's competitive rowing team. And by the way, I am the reigning lightweight 40 to 49 year old uh, international indoor 2K champ on the rowing machine. So I found this inner athlete, but how did I do it? I showed up one day and then I showed up the next day and the next day. And I spent six weeks puking my guts out, trying to run a friggin' mile until I finally could. And a year later, I crossed the finish line of the marathon. Now it took me five and a half hours to do it, but whatever, run, walk, crawl. You are still a marathoner for the rest of your life. My medal for the Boston marathon looks exactly the same as a person who came in second. Oh, that is so, (laughs) that is so brilliant right there. Yes. Yes, you did it. You so had you start. That, that goal. You had, you know, a result that you wanted. But here's the thing. I didn't actually, I actually didn't have a goal. My goal was not, I want to, I want to become an athlete. My goal wasn't, I want to become a master's competitive rower. My goal was, I just don't want things to hurt anymore. Because here's the thing. I think so many people say, if you can dream it, you can do it. And I think that's crazy because if I laid in my bed that morning that I got up and walked into school and saw Ellen and said, I can dream I'm going to run a marathon. Well, I can dream I can be the queen of England all day long, but nobody's given me tea and crumpets. Like no matter how hard I tried to train my kids, I had to do it. Once I started doing it and I was like, I did a 5K, I can dream of a 10K, I did a 10K, I could dream of a half marathon. I think we think that confidence is this thing that you're just born with, this natural thing that like, it's amazing. I have confidence to dream big dreams. But the truth is confidence comes from competence. Once you show yourself competence that you can run a mile, then you can run three. When you can run three and you have that competence, you can run six. And the competence leads to your confidence. So you can dream big dreams, but it's not if you can dream it, you can do it. It's if you do it, you can dream it. Mm, and you got to have a solid foundation. Absolutely. You know, that's the thing. We just, we sometimes forget about that. We want to get right to, as you said, you know, don't have it be a goal. We call it in the relaunch kind of, we say it's the, it's the rocket results. It's like, you got to get to the point where you know how it's going to feel when you get there. Cause yes. that's what really matters. That's what's going to keep you going. Not like, okay, great. I just did this. Great. I just you know, sold my company for a hundred million. Great. I just did that. Great. I just did, you know, two miles, 10 miles, a, a marathon, a, a, a Ironman. It's how are you going to feel? Yeah. That like moment. And I'll tell you, I felt just as good finishing that first 5k as I did finishing that third marathon, mm. because that was the pinnacle of what I thought I could do in that moment. The pinnacle mm. feels like the pinnacle. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. We are, I know we're running out of time. I know you have actually got to get your, your child. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep you. I have a hard stop, but I do have a couple questions and these are my rapid fire question. Laura. Are yes. you ready? Yes. Okay. You mentioned that you spent time in the white house. Yes. And I am going to ask you if you were going to have one job in the white house right now, what job would that be that you would really want? Oh boy, that's such a good question. Uh, I would want to be chief of staff. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd want to be chief of staff because chief of staff knows everything. You're involved in everything. You, you get to control who gets in, who gets out, what issues get raised, which ones don't, the schedule of what happens when. And you also can, you know, walk through an airport often without 8 billion people climbing all over you. So it's like you have influence, but not fame, unless you're like a real political junkie insider like me. Oh, okay. So I'm going to turn this on to a different one. Influence, but not fame. Yes. So you have, before we had this conversation, we were talking about if you could do what you really love to do, share with the, share with the people listening, what would you really want to do right now if you could? So when COVID hit, I spent two months having like the Oreo sleeve fuel pity party of pity parties. I make my living flying to events to speak on stages. There were no flights because there were no events and there were no stages. And suddenly it was like, who am I? What am I going to do? All of this, I spent the last, after I sold that executive search firm to the team who helped me build it, I spent five years building up this career. And I, 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 had this realization that everything that I had done was for nothing. It was all gone now. It was gone. I was about to do a a talk in front of 5,000 people, total bucket list, incredible. I'd spent years trying to get this client on board, gone. And then I one day woke up and I thought, you know, the problems I'm trying to solve haven't changed. I want to help people get unstuck and realize the very best version of themselves. Awesome. That hasn't changed. Okay, so what is the solution I have for that? Well, I have this, you know, four part uh, 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 rubric of consonants that I write about in my book, Limitless, that helps people get unstuck and figure all these things out. Cool. I still have that. Now, what's the best medium, given the circumstances I'm in, to make that happen? Well, I have a webcam and I have an internet connection and I have a microphone and now I've got these fancy lights, right? Like, I can still do that. And in fact, I can reach a hell of a lot more than 5,000 people. So maybe I've just been setting my sights too low, right? So there's another silver relaunch is that I said, if I can't, if I have been spending all of my time saying I am a speaker because I speak on stages, well, maybe that's, I've met a moment. Limitless is all about how we have to stop defining success as the way other people have defined it our entire lives. I needed to stop defining speaker as the way everyone's been defining it up until now. So, you know, the, for me, if I could, I redefine it. it. So if I could do anything at any time, I would be helping people get unstuck by helping them understand how they can define success for themselves and live their best lives. And I would be doing it through whatever medium was the best medium to do it at the time. I'm, I'm very lucky in that I have a job that I love, but I've worked really hard to crafted by figuring out the answers to the first two questions. What is the solution? What is the problem I want to solve? And what is the solution that that problem needs that I can bring forward before going to the third question, which is what is the medium? What is the job through which I will do the first two things? Oh, I love how you just brought that full circle. Very, very nice. So, So there is a very important full circle question that we always do on this show. And that is to ask you, what is your favorite beauty product and the name of it? So I have two. And the first one is Charlotte Tilbury. You're, such, a, you're such an overachiever. I am. I'm sorry. But, but there's, but, but, but there's a reason there's a, so my first is Charlotte Tilbury Wonder Glow because it is All like right. soft focus in a bottle. It is the Love greatest that. thing ever. Agreed. But number two, um, 
once COVID hit, I couldn't go see my lash lady anymore. And so I've just started using these magnetic lashes. And yesterday on my podcast, I interviewed Ann McFerrin, who is the founder and CEO of Glamnetic. She's like 27 years old and they did $50 million in sales last year. She literally launched at the end of 2019 and then the world imploded and everybody was in front of their Zoom all day long. So that is my new favorite product that I've been using for the last six months is just getting a little bit of, okay, little bit of extra say glamour. The, say the name of those lashes because I'm looking at you and they look incredible. Yes. Your eyes are popping. And so what's the name again? So it's called Glamnetic. And um, the ones I'm wearing right now are Lucky. So there's all different sizes and shapes and, you know, how lush and how long. And these, when I'm standing in front of you in person, I look a little bit like a drag queen. I love not, drag queens, hey, by the way, Zoom. but not on Zoom. camera. And child. so again, we always have, this is always filmed. So if you ever want to see YouTube, head on over there. You can always catch us live. This is good stuff because then you'd see how these lashes make you pop. Okay. Absolutely. So last but not least. Uh, when you think a powerhouse of possibility, what conjures up for you? What What is that all about? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think that, look, I believe there's an adventure around every corner if you just look hard enough. And I firmly, firmly, firmly believe in saying no to things that don't serve you. But it shouldn't be a knee-jerk no. It should be a thoughtful no. Like I say yes to things if I can see myself on the other side of it being better, being closer to my goals, being happier. I say yes to things if it's going to serve someone else and help them. I say yes to things if they're going to cause me joy. But I say no to things if there's somebody else who is better suited to do the job. And so for me, a powerhouse of possibility is just is just somebody who understands that that there is adventure in every yes, although it doesn't always necessarily, like it doesn't, it's not always the, the adventure you expect and success never actually is the success that you're aiming for, but there's like in every adventure, there's a whole lot of failure, but failure is never finale. It's just fulcrum. It helps you figure out who you are and where you're going and what you're trying to figure out. So power has the possibility is just being open to the fact that failure is not definitional, that where you are today is just, it's not a fixed point. It's just, it's just, it's just a data point. Mm, that was so great. And how can people get in touch with you? How can they learn more about you? Sure. So my name's Laura Gassner Odding. It's a lot of name. So all my friends call me LGO. So I am on all the socials at Hey LGO, H-E-Y-L-G-O and HeyLGO.com is a great way to just shortcut to find me online. Ah, outstanding. Laura, what fun. Thank you for being on the show today and enlightening all of us. We look forward to having you back again as you continue down this journey. So thanks again. Thanks so much, Hillary. It's been great fun. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Silver Lined Relaunch. If I said something today that resonated with you, will you please head over to iTunes right now and leave us a five-star review and share this episode with others and help them find the silver linings as well. And don't forget, you can have immediate access to the show notes, any giveaways, and the links to those amazing beauty products at therelaunchco.com backslash podcast. Until next time, 
there's always a silver lining. And now is the time to hit the reset button to relaunch those transitions into transformations.